Good morning. Are you free? That song. If you're free, it's partly because of the compassion of God. If you're not free, then we're going to pray today that the Lord will show compassion on you and make you free. Keep thinking of the songs. I want to just keep singing forever. Just keep singing and singing and singing. Alright, so, if you would, please open your Bibles to chapter, uh -oh, Mark chapter 8, and stand up with me while we read the Word of God. <clears throat> We're going to read chapter 8 of Mark, 1 to 9. In those days again, when there was a great multitude and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the multitude because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their home, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from a distance. And his disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough to satisfy these men with bread here in a desolate place? And he was asking them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the multitude to sit down on the ground. And taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve to them. And they served them to the multitude. They also had a few small fish. And after he blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. <clears throat> and they ate and were satisfied. And they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. And about 4,000 were there. And he sent them away. Father, please help us too really understand the compassion of your son Jesus during this time of looking at your word and talking about your word. Amen. Maybe see. So, when you start a sermon, you're not supposed to talk about what you're not going to talk about, but I just thought I'm going to talk about what I'm not going to talk about. I'm not going to talk about seven and baskets and and all those things. I'm not going to talk about, is this a separate instance than the 5,000? Is this the same instance as the other one? All those things. You can go listen to RC. You can go listen to Lawson. You can go listen to your favorite commentators and look at all that, okay? And I have fun reading some of those. And you know how the Lord has little blessings and things you might not like? I realized during the last year and a half... For the first time in my life, I started getting styes on my eyelids. Now, this is stupid. Lord, why are you doing that? This is, I don't like this. I don't like this. And did you know that a sty doesn't just damage a meibomian gland? It destroys it. When you get a sty, you're getting your meibomian glands destroyed. And if you're wondering, what's a meibomian gland? And I know Dan loves science. Go look up meibomian. M-E-I-B-O. It's kind of like a cereal or something. But go, go look that up. And then, then the fascinating, on your eyelids, upper and lower, are little tiny glands with ducts that come down and create an oil that is the outer layer of your tears that keep the water from evaporating too fast to keep your eye coated and healthy and clean. That's the creator little tiny meibomian glands. They all got there through billions of years and time and chance and mutation. Did you know that? That's how they got there. Even though mutations are 99.9% .9 of the time fatal, they got there by that. No, you don't believe that. But with those styes, then you're supposed to, one of the best treatments, although Stephen, my son-in-law, told me something else. You're supposed to soak it with a hot, moist pack 
And with that then, what does Brian have to do? Sit down and be calmer and watch YouTube videos. <laughs> and I can choose either something that's really fun and outdoorsy, or I could choose a sermon. And I'm not saying it's a sin to choose something that's outdoorsy and fun, because that's education. Uh, but, so got to watch some of those sermons and so many wonderful presentations on the compassion of God. And I was thinking, how often during my life as a Christian, 44 or so years, have I wanted to focus on God's compassion versus his conviction and his wrath and his judgment. But really, what brought us to him? It wasn't his wrath, because the wrath is for those who are perishing and in hell, but his compassion. So in verse 2, Jesus said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me for three days and have nothing to eat. So I enjoyed talking with Terry a little bit this week. And he said, I asked myself all those questions before I asked him during a sermon. Like, oh, that's kind of, <laughs> like, oh, you're going to preach. You've got to ask yourself the same questions. Do I have compassion for people? Do you? Do you? Jesse, Caleb, Anita, Susan, do we? That man on the street who is hungry? Or the girl at a foreign nation who's hungry? That teenage girl who's depressed? That divorced man who has no house in which to live? The 26-year-old woman who's addicted to crack? A wife who's committing adultery? That person who says he's a transgender now and life is full of woes and troubles. Or any girl or boy or man or woman who's lost in sin and not yet saved. Do we have compassion for that person? I think this is the only time in the Bible, and there are several places where it says, you know, there are stories about Jesus, and you can see that he has compassion. This is the only place he says, I feel compassion. Jesus himself said, he feels, he senses, he has in him compassion. And I'm not sure I can pronounce it, but it's something like, splagnizomi is the word. And if, I looked around, I, I couldn't find it very fast, but if Spurgeon is correct, the evangelists, there wasn't a word like this. They created it. Isn't that cool? If that's true, I mean, even if it's not true, it's, it's pretty cool. Like, just for us, just for us in the Bible, in the Word of God, they came up with a new word that wasn't around. Wow. Because nothing, nothing could exactly explain it. And, and it has to do with downing your bowels, you know. Have any of you ever been anxious? Has anybody got kind of nervous about something? Have you ever looked at somebody or had a relationship and, and you were, uh, you just were all kind of upset down in here because you love the person and you're angry at the person at the same time and all that? It's in here. It happens in here. In the bowels, in your gut, and those kinds of things. And that is the word. It says, Jesus said, I feel compassion for the people in here. It was deep. It was it's as deep as it gets. His whole nature was agitated and worked up because he looked at the people and he was moved for them with a mixture of emotion and love and tenderness and kindness and concern. All those things wrapped into one. And there are several examples of this. The compassion of Jesus. I'll just go through some of them. Kind of quickly. He's asking me how long will this be? I don't know. <laughs> just going to go through some of these examples. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting a lot from Spurgeon here. I'll admit it. Because he's a pretty great guy to get stuff from. Then while he, Jesus, tarried in the world, a man among men, we beheld his glory. The glory 
as of the only body begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, he was constantly moved with compassion. For he felt all the griefs of mankind in himself. He took our sickness and carried our sorrows. He proved himself a true brother. And listen to this, with quick human sensibilities. He didn't look at somebody and go, oh, I'll think about it, whether I should feel for that person or care about that person. Or, he was quick. He was quick. So generous. He's so generous to you and me and everybody who would be saved. He took time. He talked with people. He ate with people. He walked with people. He suffered through what was coming. Gethsemane. Being spit upon. Beat. Mocked. And to the cross. Because he had so much compassion. For Dan and Kent. And Carly. He had that much compassion. That's what he did. Ever since when there was a sentence on mankind. Ever since Adam and Eve, right? Ever since then, everybody was on their way to hell and separation from God. Everybody. But from that very moment, God had compassion and said, no, they all deserve that, but I'm going to bring some to me. That whole, whole, whole time, thousands and thousands and thousands of years before now. And it wasn't like he just walked around and thought, oh, I feel a little compassion here, then I just go eat, and then I just go fish, and then I don't feel a compassion here. All of Jesus' life, he was full of compassion. But we just have instances where it's described and laid out for us. But all of the time, he was compassionate because he's God. And that is one of the attributes of God. It isn't God, but it's an element of God that we get to know about and we get to describe and the apostles and the disciples and all explain to us. And you know it. How? Don't raise your hand. If you're a Christian who has not experienced the compassion of God, you better not. You'll get an F if you raise your hand. <laughs> if you're not saved and the Lord saves you, you are going to know His compassion. And even if you're not saved, if you read the Bible and you think, that's probably true, it sounds like a pretty solid account, you have to say, he was a compassionate man. He was a compassionate man. Everybody knows that. Anybody who reads the Bible, pagan, saved, Muslim, Jew, atheist, and they think that it's probably true stories, or sort of true stories, they would say, he was a compassionate man. Who would not want to have a friend like Jesus? There's just everybody. Do any of you remember that when you were a teenager and you are in your 20s and thought, well, he's a cool guy. I'd like to be like him. And yeah, I'd like to be like Jesus. Do any of you remember that? I remember that. Like, of course I like Jesus. When I was growing up at Roman Catholic schools, we had to do a paper on your heroes, your three heroes. And mine were Daniel Boone and Zorro and Jesus. Like, because who wouldn't want to be like Jesus, right? Who wouldn't want to be like Daniel Boone or Zorro? Save the pretty girls and beat the bad guys. So, but you know Jesus was compassionate. If you want to be compassionate, you would want to be like him. And then some might say, well, he finished that work. He did it. He died on the cross. But Spurgeon points out, but what is he doing now? What's he doing now? He's still showing compassion, right? Because he's pleading for you and me. He's an advocate all the time. Even when you sin, even when you're weak, even when you're full of doubt, or you're feeling like Hezekiah. Is that who you talked about? Jeremiah. Jeremiah, thanks. Or when you feel like Jeremiah. Probably Hezekiah felt like that too, but <laughs> you, he's pleading for you before Father. Well indeed does our hymn express it. Now, though he reigns exalted high, his love is still as great. Well, he remembers Calvary, nor will his saints forget. 
he's still compassionate and showing, and he pities people and he cares about them. And he looks on, he looks on your and my infirmities and our weaknesses, but it's not with anger. Isn't that interesting? If one of his children's sins, he doesn't ask the, oh, stop that. Back, back. He's compassionate. It's like, wow, that's a, that's a father and a mother to be, right? Anybody with children, whether they're young or old? Wow, what a, what a way to be toward your children. To actually have a heart of when they do something naughty, you don't just get angry, like, ah, frustrated. You're compassionate. And why do you correct? And why do you hug her? Because you have the compassion of God. And that's how Jesus, God, is toward us right now. So those are just examples of how Jesus behaved. And let's look at a few passages where you can see this. If you want to go back and think and pray and think and study or whatever. Or just meditate on it briefly now during this time. Okay, so here's when Jesus is going throughout all the cities and villages. In their synagogues. Important places, right? And probably just a little gatherings. A meal under a tree. In some shade. And he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Matthew 9.36. When he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Wow. It didn't say he saw the crowds and got angry. You see the crowds get judgmental. They're already judged. Right? They were already on their way to hell. He knew that. They were already sinners. Every single one of them were on their way to hell already. So why would he have to get angry and be wrathful at them? And then the next instance, Jesus had been in a boat, went away to a desolate place to get away. Any moms of young children relate to that? Or anybody who's busy these days and wants to just kind of get away? Going to get away in a desolate place, off on a boat. Oh, it's going to be all peaceful, right? And then what did the people do? <laughs> Running after him and trying to... I just keep looking at a young mother thinking, ah. <laughs> 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 oh, all day, you might think, i got a few seconds. Who was that lady who had, had a bunch of children that said she pulled her dress over herself? And even with the children around, that was her quiet time? <laughs> Susanna Wesley, how many children did she have? Bunch. Something like... 12 or 15 or 30, I don't know what. But she couldn't go anywhere. She had to pull her apron or something overhead and just get along for a minute. Oh, man. Okay, so he, Jesus had been in a boat to a desolate place, but the crowds were falling on foot. That's just crazy. He's out there in the boat and they're trying to catch up with him, it seems like. Oh, man. Matthew 14, 14. That's right. Matthew 14, 14. When he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And maybe the same event, you could write down Mark 634. There you go. But Jesus is gone now. Well, he is. You know, from here, he's gone. And, and I thought this was wonderful what Spurgeon did here. He said, but think about the foresights of Jesus' compassion. Like, oh, that's an interesting. I like how these guys wrote back then. The foresights of Jesus' compassion. And you start to think about it. Whoa. One of them was he knew he'd be gone, right? And he gave us the book. Because if he's not here, we have the book. It tells us all about him. That was compassionate of God. He gave us the book. You can't take it away. How many copies? Does anybody know how many copies of the Bible are there in the world now? What would it take to get rid of them all? What would it take to burn them all? What would it, all the digital copies all over the place? Betsy and I have a good friend, and his, he is so excited to finish his job, his government job, and get out of there. And I thought, well, he's all excited because he wants to do more lobbying for parental freedoms and homeschool freedoms. 
No, he wanted to quit so he could finish his Bible project and get it into closed countries and get people to download the Bible and his study guides. Like, Roger, you're crazy. But that's what he wanted to do. And God has compassion and uses Roger to get the word of God into it's so much he, people start to download it in China and then their their robots would catch it and shut it down in one what do you call those uh, what do we used to call those computer stores where you could go anyway you could go rent a computer for 10 minutes and go to a cafe yeah yeah a digital cafe or something they'll shut them down and then somebody will go over to another one and get the rest of it downloaded and that's what Roger's doing now so God gave his Bible he left the book behind what else did he do in his foresights of compassion. He gave us evangelists who have a special gift and joy and drive to, to go around and tell people about Jesus. And it's not just the guy who stands here. It's not just the person who goes over there. But some of you are like that. I was just talking to somebody on the phone. Was it you, Debbie? We were talking about a person who... Was that you? We were talking the other day. A person who told you the gospel. You said she's a, an evangelist. Yeah, I love that story. And it would just be, if I got it right, she and her boyfriend or husband would meet somebody. What do we used to call that? Like friendship evangelism or something. And, and just to start telling about Jesus and Jesus and preach to them and talk to them and get them saved. We know she couldn't get Debbie saved, but God used her. That is a like a mini evangelist. This is incredible how God does that. And some of you are like that, and some of you will be like that. Maybe some of you used to be like that and should get like that again. But that's what God does. And then another foresight of his compassion was the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm not leaving you alone. Here's the Holy Spirit. Wow. Holy Spirit. Right here, right now. And in you, the Holy Spirit. You can write a lot of fiction books about that, but it's just, it is kind of mind-blowing. The Holy Spirit is here, and that is a compassion of God. And then he knew not only we needed the Holy Spirit, but then the Holy Spirit teaches us how to pray. That's another compassion of God, is that the Holy Spirit, even when Stephen doesn't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit helps him pray. And then we have something called the throne of grace. And you can go to the throne of grace, Jesse, and just pour out your heart to God. Your anxieties, cast them on Jesus. Your joys, your praises, your needs. In God's foresight and compassion, he gave us the throne of grace. And then some people said, yeah, but still... If we know the truth, we know this. And this is what God did. No matter how hard it's ever been for you as a son or daughter of Jesus, it's never been too much. There's always been a meeting of your needs. There's always been a meeting of my needs. You're still here. Look at you. Right? You're still here. You're not down forever for the count. You're not knocked out. You're not TKO'd or physically KO'd. You're still here. And you're going to make it. What does the Bible tell us in Romans? You're going to make it. You are going to be there. And every tear will be wiped away. And there will only be joy forever and ever and ever. And, yeah, thank you, Lord. No more persecution, no more allergies, no more headaches, no more wrecked relationships, only the Lord. Wow, that's, that's a provision. God's compassion. The foresights of God's compassion. I love that. So now I'm going to read you a long, long, well, it's not that long, but it is a long it is a long quote. So, rev up the computer. I thought it would be a little bit easier to stick with me if I had it up here for you. 
because you know how Spurgeon is. <laughs> it's kind of helpful to have. It's kind of helpful to have that. Uh, words in front of you. <clears throat> so, this is his section on his personal recollections of the compassion of Christ. <clears throat> and it really, I thought it was good. That's why I want to read it with you, to you. So there it is on the overhead. This is written back when? When did he live? Somebody help me out here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This sermon was in 1914. what, eight years ago, something like that? How'd I do? How'd I do on my math? Okay, so let's go with this. Just really let it soak in, however the Holy Spirit will put it into you. I shall only recall my own experience in order to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. My brethren and sisters, I do well remember when I was under conviction of sin and smarted bitterly under the rod of God, that when I was most heavy and depressed, there would sometimes come something like hope, <laughs> something like hope across my spirit. I knew what it was to say, my soul chooseth strangling rather than life. Yet, when I was at the lowest ebb and most ready to despair, though I could not quite lay hold of Christ, I used to get a touch of the promise now and then, till I have hope that, after all, I might prove to be God's prisoner, and He might yet set me free. I do remember well when my sins compassed me about like bees, and I thought it was all over with me, and I must be destroyed by them. It was at that moment when Jesus revealed himself to me. Had he... There you go. But Jesus is gone now. Well, he is. You know, from here, he's gone. And, and I thought this was wonderful what Spurgeon did here. He said, but think about the foresights of Jesus' compassion. Like, oh, that's an interesting... I like how these guys wrote back then. The foresights of Jesus' compassion. And you start to think about it. Wow. One of them was, he knew he'd be gone, right? And he gave us the book. Because if he's not here, we have the book. It tells us all about him. That was compassionate of God. He gave us the book. He can't take it away. How many copies? Does anybody know how many copies of the Bible are there in the world now? What would it take to get rid of them all? What would it take to burn them all? What would it, all the digital copies all over the place? Betsy and I have a good friend, and his, he is so excited to finish his job, his government job, and get out of there. And I thought, well, he's all excited because he wants to do more lobbying for parental freedoms and homeschool freedoms. No, he wanted to quit so he could finish his Bible project and get it into closed countries and get people to download the Bible and his study guides. I, Roger, you're crazy. But that's what he wanted to do. And God has compassion and uses Roger to get the word of God into this so much he, people start to download it in China and then their their robots would catch it and shut it down in one what do you call those uh what do we used to call those computer stores where you could go anyway, you could go rent a computer for ten minutes and go to yeah, yeah, the digital cafe or something. They'll shut them down, and then somebody will go over to another one and get the rest of it downloaded, and that's what Roger's doing now. So God gave his Bible. He left the book behind. What else did he do in his foresights of compassion? He gave us evangelists who have a special gift and joy and drive to, to go around and tell people about Jesus. And it's not just... The guy who stands here, it's not just the person who goes over there, but some of you are like that. I was just talking to somebody on the phone. Was it you, Debbie? We were talking about a person who, was that you? We were talking the other day, a person who told you the gospel, you said she's a, an evangelist. Yeah, I love that story. And it would just be, if I got it right, she and her boyfriend or husband would meet somebody. What do we used to call that? like friendship evangelism or something, and, and just to start telling about Jesus and Jesus and preach to them and talk to them and get them saved. We know she couldn't get Debbie saved, but God used her 
That is a like a mini evangelist. This is incredible how God does that. And some of you are like that, and some of you will be like that. Maybe some of you used to be like that and should get like that again. But that's what God does. And then another foresight of his compassion was the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm not leaving you alone. Here's the Holy Spirit. Wow. Holy Spirit. Right here, right now, and in you. The Holy Spirit. You can write a lot of fiction books about that. But it's just, it is kind of mind-blowing. The Holy Spirit is here. And that is a compassion of God. And then he knew not only we needed the Holy Spirit, but then the Holy Spirit teaches us how to pray. That's another compassion of God, is that the Holy Spirit, even when Stephen doesn't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit helps him pray. And then we have something called the throne of grace. And you can go to the throne of grace, Jesse, and just pour out your heart to God. Your anxieties, cast them on Jesus. Your joys, your praises, your needs. In God's foresight and compassion, he gave us the throne of grace. And then some people said, yeah, but still, if we know the truth, we know this, and this is what God did. No matter how hard it's ever been for you as a son or daughter of Jesus, it's never been too much. There's always been a meeting of your needs. There's always been a meeting of my needs. You're still here. Look at you. Right? You're still here. You're not down forever for the count. You're not knocked out. You're not TKO'd or physically KO'd. You're still here. And you're going to make it. What does the Bible tell us in Romans? You're going to make it. You are going to be there. And every tear will be wiped away. And there will only be joy forever and ever and ever. And yeah, thank you, Lord. No more persecution. No more allergies. No more headaches. No more wrecked relationships. Only the Lord. Wow, that's, that's a provision. God's compassion. The foresights of God's compassion. I love that. So now I'm going to read you a long, long, well, it's not that long, but it is a long, it is a long quote. So, rev up the computer. I thought it would be a little bit easier to stick with me if I had it up here for you. Because you know how Spurgeon is. <laughs> It's kind of helpful to have. It's kind of helpful to have uh, words in front of you. <clears throat> so, this is his section on his personal recollections of the compassion of Christ, <clears throat> and it really—I thought it was good. That's why I want to read it with you, to you. So there it is on the overhead. This is written back when? When did he live? Somebody help me out here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This sermon was in 1914. Hundred and what? Eight years ago, something like that? How'd I do? How'd I do on my math? Okay, so let's go with this. Just really let it soak in however the Holy Spirit will put it into you. I shall only recall my own experience in order to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, my brethren and sisters. I do well remember when I was under conviction of sin and smarted bitterly under the rod of God, that when I was most heavy and depressed, there would sometimes come something like hope, something like hope across my spirit. I knew what it was to say, my soul chooseth strength rather than life. Yet, when I was at the lowest ebb and most ready to despair, though I could not quite lay hold of Christ, I used to get a touch of the promise now and then, till I have hope that, after all, I might prove to be God's prisoner 
and he might yet set me free. I do remember well when my sins compassed me about like bees, and I thought it was all over with me, and I must be destroyed by them. It was at that moment when Jesus revealed himself to me. Had he waited a little longer, I had died of despair, but that was no desire of his. On swift wings of love, he came and manifested his dear, wounded self to my heart. I looked at him and was lightened, and my peace flowed like a river. I rejoiced in him. Yes, he was moved with compassion. He would not let the pangs of conviction be too severe. Neither would he suffer them to be protracted too long for the spirit of man to fail before him. It is not his want to break a leaf that is driven by the tempest. You ever feel like that? A leaf driven by the tempest? He will not quench the smoking flax. Yea, and I do remember since I first saw him and began to love him, many sharp and severe troubles, dark and heavy trials. Yet have I noted this, that they have never reached that pitch of severity which I was unable to bear. When all gates seem closed, there has still been with the trial a way of escape. And I have noted again that in deeper depressions of spirits through which I have passed, and horrible despondencies that have crushed me down, I have had some gleams of love and hope and faith at the last moment, for he was moved with compassion. If he withdrew his face, it was only till my heart broke before him. And then he showed me the light of his countenance again. If he laid the rod upon me, yet when my soul cried under his chastening, he could not bear it. But he put back the rod and said, My child, I will comfort thee. Oh, the comforts that he gives on a sick bed. Oh, the consolations of Christ when you are very low. If there is anything dainty to the taste in the Word of God, you get it then. That's what you get. If there be any bowels of mercy, you hear them sounding for you then. When you are in the saddest plight, Christ comes to your aid with the sweetest manifestations. For He is moved with compassion. How frequently have I noticed and I tell it to his praise. For though it shows my weakness, it proves his compassion. That sometimes, after preaching the gospel, and this man preached a lot to me, I've been so filled with self-reproach. And maybe you feel that after something. I don't know what. I've been so filled with self-reproach that I could hardly sleep through the night because I had not preached as I desired. I have sat me down and cried over some sermons as though I knew that I had missed the mark and lost the opportunity. Not once or twi nor twice, but many a time has it happened that within a few days, someone has come to tell me that he found the Lord to that very sermon, the shortcoming of which I have deplored. Glory be to Jesus. It was his gentleness that did it. He did not want his servant to be too much bowed down with a sense of infirmity, and so he had compassion on him and comforted him. Have not you noticed, some of you, that after doing your best to serve the Lord, when somebody has sneered at you, or you have met with such a rebuff as made you half inclined to give up the work, and unexpected success has been given you, so that you have not played the Jonah and ran away to Tarshish, but kept to your work? I've heard Dan say many times the last few weeks, the Spirit is working. The Spirit is good. The Spirit's alive. And unexpected success has been given you, so that you have not played the Jonah and ran away to Tarshish, but kept to your work? Oh, how many times in your life, if you could read it all, you would have to stop and write between the lines. He was moved with compassion. Many and many a time when no other compassion could help, when all the sympathy of friends would be unavailing, 
he has been moved with compassion towards us, has said to us, be of good cheer, banished our fears with the magic of his voice, and filled our souls to overflowing with gratitude. When we have misrepresented, traduced, and slandered, we have found in the sympathy of Christ our richest support. Till we could sing with rapture the verse, I cannot help quoting it now, though I have often quoted it before. If on my face for thy dear name, shame and reproach shall be, I'll hail reproach and welcome shame, since thou rememberest me. The compassion of the Master making up for all the abuses of his enemies. And believe me, there's nothing sweeter to a forlorn and broken spirit than the fact that Jesus has compassion. Are any of you sad and lonely? Have any of you been cruelly wronged? Have you lost the goodwill of some you esteem? Do you seem as if you have the cold shoulder, even from good people? Do not say in the anguish of your spirit, I am lost, and give up. He hath compassion on you. Nay, poor fallen woman, seek not the dark river and the cold stream. He has compassion. He who looks down with the bright eyes of yonder stars and watches thee is thy friend. He yet can help thee. Thou hast gone so far from the path of virtue, throw not thyself away in blank despair, for he hath compassion. A little bit more. And thou, broken down in health and broken down in fortune, Scarcely, scarcely with shoe to thy feet. Thou art welcome in the house of God. Welcome as the most honored guest in the assembly of the saints. Let not the weighty grief that overhangs thy soul tempt thee to think that hopeless darkness has settled thy fate and foreclosed thy doom. Though thy sin may have beggared thee, Christ can enrich thee with better riches. He hath compassion. Oh, you say, they will pass me on the stairs. They will give me a broad pathway. And if they see me in the street, they will not speak to me. Even his disciples will not. Be it so, but better than his disciples tenderer by far is Jesus. Is there a man here whom to associate with were a scandal from which the pure and pious would shrink? The holy, harmless, undefiled one will not disdain even him. For this man receiveth sinners. He is a friend of publicans and sinners. He is never happier than when he is relieved and retrieved the forlorn, the abject, and the outcast. He despises not any that confess their sins and seek his mercy. No pride nestles in his dear heart. No sarcastic word rolls off his gracious tongue. No bitter expression falls from his blessed lips. He still receives the guilty. Pray to him now. Now, let the silent prayer go up. My Savior, have pity upon me. Be moved with compassion towards me. For if misery be any qualification for mercy, I am fit. I am a fit object for thy compassion. Oh, save me for thy mercy's sake. Amen. Wow. How do we treat somebody we meet on the street? How do we treat somebody who walks in the door here? How do we treat somebody we don't know? Somebody who looks unlovely. 
are we to be like Jesus? Are we interested in getting out of here? Are we interested in reaching out when we're at the store, on the street, at work? Do we need a little courage? Do we need a little encouragement? Do we need a little boldness? So, in closing, I just love that ending. He is a friend of publicans and sinners. He is never happier than when he is relieving and retrieving the forlorn, the abject and the outcast. See, we don't, we don't really have to worry. We can just be, as David and I were talking, we just need to be his vessels. Ready, willing, bold, 